This is the voice of the Trumpet Magazine. News, economy, politics, trends, discovery, health, family, the Bible, the future. This is Trumpet Hour. Thank you for joining us on this 20th day of December 2023. I'm Jeremiah Jacques, and we've got a powerful episode put together for today. For the first segment, we'll take a look at what it means to be a truth seeker in this modern world, this digital world, this post-truth world. The gatekeepers of truth, those who are elites of the mainstream media, have squandered their credibility. They've shown themselves to be agenda-driven, ideologues who play fast and loose with the facts or abandon them wholesale in order to manipulate their audiences. And so alternative media of all kinds have sprung up. But just because the hundreds of new outlets are not mainstream doesn't mean that they're not corrupt and wildly inaccurate and sometimes just as agenda-driven as the major media moguls. So what is a truth seeker to do? We'll sit down with trumpet writer Andrew Miller to examine the scope and complexity of the problem and to shine some light on the solution. From there, we'll take a look at a story that's very much related to the first segment, and that is the role that former U.S. President Barack Obama is playing in artificial intelligence and how that relates to some very troubling trends in misinformation. We'll hear all about that in a report by trumpet writer Abraham Blondeau. In our third segment, we'll go in a different direction, examining the quickly shifting landscape of German society, and especially its increasing focus on military preparedness. It wasn't long ago that virtually the whole world agreed that Germany should never be able to wage war again, given its unhinged belligerence in the 20th century. Even many Germans themselves demanded pacifism from their nation, arguing that the country that started the greatest war in history should take intense measures to avoid being involved in another one. As long as there was comparative peace on the world stage, it seemed like a tenable stance. But now, more and more conflicts are erupting and the Germans are getting fit for war, as we'll hear about in a report from trumpet writer Josue Michels. And then for our last word, we'll look at a momentous land acquisition deal that was finalized on this day 220 years ago. We'll look at what was behind it and the stunning results of it. So that'll be our concluding segment. And we'll begin now with a conversation about the post-truth world with Andrew Miller. Andrew, thanks very much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. So Andrew, let me start off here giving you the chance to just describe what modern audiences, you know, modern TV viewers, radio listeners, newspaper readers... What are they up against with the mainstream media today? Let's just focus on the mainstream at first. What is the state of mainstream media and the gatekeepers, as we sometimes call them, in 2023? Yeah, I think probably one of the biggest news stories of this year, if not the biggest news story of this year, is the Twitter files. Elon Musk did something very unprecedented, spent $44 billion of his own money to buy a major Silicon Valley company and audit it. And in the audits, there'd been a lot of talk about Twitter being biased towards leftists and it censors conservatives 10 times more than it censors leftists. And once he bought this thing, 
he's looking through the emails and finding that it's not just a matter of a bunch of Ivy League liberal Harvard graduates censoring information they personally don't like at Twitter. But there was actually uh, a relationship with the State Department and with the FBI where you are actually getting marching orders from the federal government to censor information about the Hunter Biden laptop or the Biden family money laundering activities, anything critical of COVID vaccinations, anything critical of climate change, anything saying that the um, 2020 election wasn't perfect in every way. And you're seeing that this isn't actually just media bias, but an outright violation of the First Amendment, where the federal government was censoring speech and basically using Twitter like an arm of the government. Since that's happened, they've had some smaller leaks this summer called the Facebook Files. They had Zachary Vores, a Google employee who went rogue and put out like 218 documents from Google showing that Twitter is not unique in this regard, but really all of social media, the big internet search engines, even the mainstream corporate media is um, basically state media. The Twitter files, the level of collusion that exposed are showing um, Pravda level control over the media. Now, they're a little more um, savvy about that. We're in Soviet Union, like Pravda was because it's a communist state, like openly the state media. <laughs> right. Where in this case, it's like these Google and YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and the Washington Post and the New York Times, they're all posing as objective, independent news sources when they're really taking orders directly from officials in the State Department and the Center for Global Engagement and things like this to give you a very curated view of what the government wants you to see and hear. I'm probably going to butcher this quote a little bit, but Napoleon Bonaparte said that like he feared a newspaper more than he feared a battalion hmm. or, or something to those effects that like a hostile newspaper can do a lot of damage to a government regime. It's like, well, imagine <laughs> how much the American people should fear a, a government regime that doesn't just control a newspaper but really controls all the newspapers uh, above a certain circulation limit. Wow. So it sounds like this is just an alarming level of, you know, state control, government control and media manipulation that we see coming from the mainstream, the big players. That is chilling for me to hear you make this comparison to Pravda and other overtly state-run sources like that. And of course, as you said, with the U.S. right now, they're more sophisticated, they're more subtle, they're more savvy, but it is a, a similar picture to that. And it means that there's really no end to the, you know, the falsehoods, the gaslighting, the misinformation and disinformation, the projection, the distortion, and it's all just corrupting the wells of discussion and everything that we hear coming out of the mainstream. And so because of this, I think it's no surprise that many truth seekers over the years have gotten disgusted by this and they've begun to create alternatives. I heard Peter Zion saying that this actually started back in the early 1980s with the fax machine. <laughs> but whatever the origins are, there have been new technologies that have allowed people who don't own a nationwide network of TV stations and broadcast towers and satellites and all that, it's allowed them to still be able to get their message out to others. So what can you tell us about alternative media, maybe a bit about 
its history and and maybe just the state of non-mainstream platforms in 2023? Yeah, well, that uh, Peter Zion's comment about the fax machine, I hadn't heard that before, but that is interesting. I know uh, it definitely got a huge boost with alternative media after the launch of the World Wide Web two decades ago, where before, like if you wanted to found a newspaper, you needed the... Uh, buy printing presses and buy rent a building and buy people to work for it. And so just being able to have an online news websites lowered the bar substantially for anyone to establish their own news source. And just in the past couple of years, there's really been a huge uh, market niche for that because of all the people waking up to the corruption in mainstream media. The Twitter files are something where because the conservatives were being censored more than the liberals, the conservatives really liked the corruption. The Twitter files were exposed where the liberals like it less. But across the both political spectrums, they say that like trust in mainstream media has fallen to like almost single digits. Wow. I saw one poll that said the only institution in America less trusted than television news is Congress itself. <laughs> and that, you know you're getting pretty bad when you're down at like congressional approval ratings. Wow. And, and the fascinating thing is that they know this. Those who run the, the main media companies they see those polls, they see that they don't have the power and the trust that they had in the 1980s or even 90s or early 2000s, but yet they can't reform. They, they somehow can't turn it around and go back to being somewhat objective. It's very strange to me that despite, you know, they're, they're well aware of their eroding credibility, but they can't seem to right the ship. Right. It does just highlight the fact that we're in a post-truth age to where though most of these people, they're not, it's not like they've been caught as not being objective reporters and like, oh, well, we need to do better. It's they're just nakedly partisan right. and will um, crack down on the party line, which in this case is the Democratic Party line, in order to push their agenda through, which is a huge factor in the rise of alternative media because conservatives across the nation are realizing that like we're being censored on social media, we're being censored on the internet. There's no mainstream conservative television stations except Fox, which isn't even that conservative anymore. And so you're doing um, just a plethora of new sites, Breitbart, Drudge Report, pro-Trump news, World Net Daily, just a bunch of others that are actually giving conservatives a voice. And in a way that is, <laughs> I do think there's some positive things about that development in that conservatives aren't just rolling over and figures like, okay, well, we just have to read the New York Times for the rest of eternity, no matter how um, many times they get exposed for faking data about what really happened in a Hamas attack on Israel. But the danger in it, and it is that these sites, because the, the bar for entry is low, it's not necessarily a return to the town newspaper where you're getting revenue from being a credible news source. It's mostly a reaction to this state-controlled media. And the thing is with the reaction, it's like you, <laughs> anytime you re, you're create something as a reaction, there's always the risk that you fall into uh, contrarianism. Right. And so it's like, okay, it's like, well, we exist. We exist because we're giving people an alternative view to what the mainstream media is saying. Therefore, whatever the mainstream media says, we're going to say the opposite. You do a lot of reporting for us on 
Ukraine, and I think you've mentioned that before, is that because the Biden administration is leading this assault on Ukraine, the mainstream media is supporting it because it's the Bidens doing it. So the alternative media, which exists to provide a different perspective from the mainstream media, is basically always just providing the opposite perspective of the mainstream media. So it does give you some different viewpoints, but it's you don't necessarily always get the most nuanced, objective, factual, political coverage when your mainstream media is doing apologetics for the president in power and your alternative media is doing a knee-jerk reaction to uh, whatever they said it isn't true. Right. Wow, you've covered a lot of ground here. You've dropped a lot of handkerchiefs. You know, I wish I had time to pick them all up to dive into this uh, fascinating topic more. I'm really glad you mentioned contrarianism there. It does seem like with a, with a lot of these more extreme alternative sites, it, it is almost a reflexive contrarianism. Whatever CNN says, we say the opposite. At this point, CNN could say kittens are cute. And, you know, Alex Jones would probably find a way to disagree, a a very colorful way to disagree. And so it is alarming to see that. What about uh, AI-generated text and imagery? What what can you tell us about the role that this plays in all of this, you know, babble and confusion that we're seeing? Yeah, well, it's definitely, I think, something that AI-generated imagery can make the search for truth much harder in the future. Traditionally, it's kind of like, well, you can get involved in a he said, she said argument, but if you have a photo, that's supposed to be some of the best type of evidence. AI-generated imagery is getting to the point, as I said, no, now you can't even trust photographic evidence. The imagery itself has a little ways to go. It's, I think, so far, uh, at least those who know what they're looking for have kind of been able to tell, like, okay, well, that's not a real photograph. But it's getting to the point where it's like, You can actually see a picture of something happening, but it was generated by an artificial intelligence program and it didn't actually happen, which, I mean, it just makes basically the ability to lie convincingly that much easier. Yeah. So going forward, we should not expect this situation to get any easier at all. In fact, just the opposite. So it sounds like an almost hopeless you know, situation here. The the mainstream can't be trusted, obviously, but the alternatives are often wrong as well. So it can seem kind of hopeless, but you have written an article in the January 2024 edition of the Philadelphia Trumpet. It's called The Post-Truth World. And you make a compelling case there that this is not hopeless and that truth can be found. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, I definitely make the case in that article that uh, it takes work and it is about to get a lot harder. I focus on the conclusion a bit uh, with some prophecies our editor-in-chief has highlighted in his book, America Under Attack, about a time where people don't receive the love of the truth, so truth is cast to the ground. It's a prophecy in Daniel about like an end-time Antiochus who's actually empowered by a host of people to cast the truth to the ground. And making the point with Barack Obama being one of the architects behind the censorship industrial complex that has casting truth to ground in the mainstream media and providing the impetus for the alternative media to um, become more contrarian and and less truthful. Uh, That really is a fulfillment of that prophecy. 
it is important to realize that in an, in an era where there's so much confusion going around and people talk about like, well, that's your truth, but not my truth. And that's my truth, but not your truth, that God is a God of truth and uh, absolute truth does exist. Mm. So like your starting point on the search from, for truth is to just kind of take a step back and realize that, okay, it's like truth does exist. The Bible says in John 1, 1, that, um, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. And that Greek word um, Logos, in English it's translated word, but it's actually better translated like rational discourse. And mm. it's actually from the same root word as the, as the word logic, hmm. Logos logic. Right. And so, so, the, so the, the Logos is the being that God used to impart rationality to the universe. And so if you... <laughs> seek God and try to align your thinking with his, you should know that the truth does exist. It's worth finding. It's worth fighting for because it is, like I said, it is out there and God gives us his Bible, which is not the sum total of all knowledge, but is the foundation of all knowledge, which gives us many good points on finding the truth. It talks about the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, which is why you need to know that like God exists, therefore truth exists. It says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the honor of kings to search it out, uh, meaning that there is something noble about the search for truth itself. So don't necessarily expect it to be easy to be like, oh, you can find truth if you uh, just do this or just do that. It is a process to find truth. Uh, it's a process you need to go to God for, you need to go to the Bible for, to be humble enough to realize that um, your knee-jerk reaction isn't always the right reaction. And then even to work at, like uh, both Moses and the Apostle Paul said, to establish everything at the mouth of two or three witnesses. Really important principle in news watching is to try to get collaborating evidence. It's a very dangerous situation to be in when you're when you're looking for truth. It's as I looking for truth is a matter of accepting the existence of God, grounding your thinking in God's word, and just trying to put in the time and the effort to think logically, to look for collaborating evidence, and uh, don't just believe everything you hear because there's uh, there's evidence of plenty, and both the mainstream media and the alternative media that uh, the people writing these uh, writing articles are doing it for political gain and not as a public service. So despite how it may feel when you turn on your TV or open up your Washington Post or log into Twitter or Facebook, there is attainable truth. So truth seekers need not despair. And Andrew has written a, a fascinating article about all of this. As I said, it's in the January 2024 edition of the Philadelphia Trumpet. It's called The Post-Truth World. And this is a free magazine with a free print edition. You just need to go to thetrumpet.com and click on the literature tab there to subscribe. So please check that out. And Andrew, I know you're a very busy man. So thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is the voice of the Trumpet News Magazine.
You're listening to Trumpet Hour. This is Trumpet Hour on KPCG 101.3. I'm Jeremiah Jacques. And we know, of course, that President Barack Obama left the White House back in early 2017. But he remains a profoundly influential figure in American politics. And there is evidence now that he's orchestrating a great deal of the U.S.'s AI policy, artificial intelligence policy, and using this to advance his vast censorship ambitions and to further his anti-American agenda. This is very much part of the post-truth world because those efforts in AI are being made with the goal of telling the people of America and beyond what is truth and what isn't. As we'll hear about now in this report from Mr. Abraham Blondeau. I talked to one executive and and look, there's no shortage of uh, hyperbole in, in, in the tech world, right? But this is a pretty sober guy, uh, like an adult who's- <laughs> Now who's, I have to guess who who's, it is. Who's, who's seen a bunch of these cycles and been through boom and bust. And, and I asked him, I said, well, when you say this technology you think is going to be transformative, give, give me sort of some analogy. He said, you know, I sat with my team and we talked about it. And after going around and around, what we decided was maybe the best analogy was electricity. And I thought, well, yeah, electricity, that was a pretty big deal. Yeah. Artificial intelligence might change our society like electricity did. That is what Barack Obama thinks. And that is why Obama is leading the way on harnessing its transformational power. We are entering a transformative new era in the information age. AI is threatening to revolutionize how we use the internet, how we consume media, and even how we define reality. The potential for AI to shape people's perception of reality is hard to understand. AI can create a separate reality that looks just as real as the world around us. AI can be used to push a specific agenda and create a new set of facts and evidence that appear to be real. Whoever can harness the potential of AI also harnesses the power to transform reality. This is an issue all of us should be concerned about. We should be alert to what is being developed and who is developing it. On October 30th, 2023, President Joe Biden unveiled a sweeping executive order on the quote, the safe, secure, and trustworthy development of artificial intelligence, end quote. The Biden administration is using executive power to harness the power of AI and government. Yet the most important part of the executive order was hidden. The groundbreaking and sweeping regulations were not inspired by Joe Biden or anyone in the White House. For five months, Barack Hussein Obama has been creating the AI strategy behind Biden's executive order. NBC News reported on November 3rd, just a few days after the executive order was announced, quote, former President Obama quietly advised the White House over the past five months on its strategy to address artificial intelligence, engaging behind the scenes with tech companies and holding Zoom meetings with top West Wing aides at President Joe Biden's request. And he did it because Obama shares his views on the issue and brings a certain heft that could help move the process along quickly, end quote. Following the revelation that Obama was behind the executive order, Bloomberg wrote this article entitled, 
Obama is the AI czar we need for global cooperation. Why would Barack Obama be influencing sweeping regulations governing a transformational technology? Why does an unelected individual have so much power over the U.S. government? The truth is Obama has always been interested in harnessing the power of AI because it is a powerful tool to fulfill his agenda. What is the goal behind everything Obama does? It has been 15 years since Obama started fundamentally transforming the United States, and artificial intelligence is a path to fundamentally transforming reality. Controlling AI is a tool that can be used to gain total control over what we see, what we hear, and even what we think. Obama has always known how to use technology to his advantage. It was social media and digital networks that helped get Obama elected in 2008. Obama was behind the massive expansion of the security state. It was during his presidency that the intelligence apparatus became embedded with social media. The Twitter files made it abundantly clear that social media advanced the agenda of the Obama regime, and they still do to this day for the most part. Obama used this apparatus to reach foreign policy goals in the Arab Spring, domestic policy goals during the COVID pandemic, and even to influence the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. AI is the next frontier that will increase this level of control to dangerous heights. Did you know in the final year of President Obama's second term, in October 2016, his government released a policy paper called Preparing for the Future of Artificial Intelligence. President Obama specifically asked for his team to create guidelines on how the U.S. government can develop artificial intelligence. Even before artificial intelligence became mainstream as it is today, Obama has had his eye on the technology. He's always looking for more tools to fulfill his agenda. Listen to what Obama said at a Stanford speech he made in April 2022. TV is a tool. The internet is a tool. Social media is a tool. At the end of the day, tools don't control us. We control them. And we can remake them. It's up to each of us to decide what we value and then use the tools we've been given to advance those values. Obama views AI as a tool to advance his values. That is the thinking behind Joe Obama's October 30th executive order. The executive order covers dozens of regulatory directives that will affect the private industry and how the government uses it, which you can go check out yourself, but here are some highlights from it. AI developers must share critical data with the government, in fact, Obama was able to use his charm to get all the major AI companies to sign on to having the government look at everything they're doing with AI and go through a pressure test over discrimination, bias, and everything in their AI system before they even release it to the public. The executive order will also evaluate how agencies will gather personal data for use by AI and how it will be used by other government departments. It gives a directive to have the government try to gain quick use of emerging technology with AI so they always have the best tools available to them. They want to make sure AI won't persecute minorities. It includes working with other nations to develop AI guidelines and policies. 
And finally, it also talks about watermarking, which is deciding what is real and what is produced by AI. Having a little watermark in the corner of an image or a video telling you, was this produced by AI or not? The watermarking AI content creates a situation where someone in the government is determining what is truth and what is not. Now, this could be a useful service for a lot of people, but is it conceivable that someone would use it to push a specific agenda? Did you know that the Department of Homeland Security is already integrating AI into its surveillance systems? Now, this is an important point to cover because history shows that the Department of Homeland Security is the main way that the intelligence apparatus has been weaponized against the American people. A lot of this runs through the National Security Agency, the NSA, which already has massive amounts of data about all of us. All the data that your device collects, so your smartphone, your GPS, all the apps on your phone, basically all of them, it collects geolocation data, even data on where you go, what your preferences are. All that data goes up to the developer, and nearly all that data ends up in the hands of the U.S. government and is put into this NSA database. So this database, it compiles it all, and the government can actually search for individuals of interest. And a lot of these searches don't require a search warrant. So how much more data will the NSA be able to harvest and sort through by using artificial intelligence? So notice this Department of Homeland Security policy statement uh, on the use of AI. So this is from August 8th, 2023, before the executive order, right in the middle of when Obama was shaping this, this strategy. Quote, the DHS will not use AI to improperly profile, target, or to discriminate against any individual or entity based on the individual characteristics identified as reprisal or solely because of exercising their constitutional rights. DHS will not use AI technology to enable improper, systemic, indiscriminate, or large-scale monitoring, surveillance, or tracking of individuals. End quote. So notice, they're not saying they're not going to profile, target, or do large-scale monitoring using AI. It just says they're not going to do it improperly. So all of these changes, the integration of AI into these massive security systems, these are changes being made in the dark, out of sight, with no oversight from Congress or anyone else. Do you trust that it will not be improperly used? So that's one way that AI is being formed to weaponize against individuals who hold a different set of values to the agenda of the Obama regime. But the other big area of using AI is to identify disinformation. In April 2022, Obama gave a speech at Stanford University where he laid out his thoughts on disinformation and the solutions to disinformation. Now listen to what he said during that speech. No one tells us that the window is blurred, subject to unseen distortions and subtle manipulations. All we see is a constant feed of content where useful, factual information and happy diversions and cat videos flow alongside lies, conspiracy theories, junk science, quackery, white supremacists, racist tracts, misogynist screeds. And over time, we lose our capacity to distinguish between fact opinion, and wholesale fiction. 
Obama is concerned that on your social media feed, your YouTube page, wherever you go to look at media and content, that it's getting increasingly hard to know what is truth and what is not. So what's the solution he proposes to fighting this disinformation, to increasing our capacity to know the difference between fact and fiction? Well, his solution is the government. The government should create a regulatory structure that can fight against disinformation online. Later in his speech, Obama said, It is a chance for all of us to fight for truth, not absolute truth, not a fixed truth, but to fight for what deep down we know is more true, is right, end quote. This isn't about fact and fiction. This is about his truth. This is about promoting the truth he believes is right. If you listen to that whole speech on disinformation, the irony is almost suffocating. Because as examples of disinformation, Obama uses the examples of the 2020 election was stolen. He talks about how Putin and Russian interference helped get Trump elected in 2016. He talks about how there's a lot of disinformation about how COVID vaccines are unsafe and that they don't work. Nearly every example of disinformation he uses is actually the truth. And what he points to as fact is actually fiction. If you look at the evidence of those things, you know that all those things are the exact opposite of what he says they are. If you don't agree with his view on those things, you already get censored on a lot of platforms online. Imagine what can be done with AI. It is already difficult enough in Obama's America to find the truth. Obama is America's hidden AI czar that is continuing his agenda of fundamental transformation. The most astounding fact from this story is that it was all prophesied in your Bible. Daniel 8 is a prophecy for our time today, and it talks about a type of Antiochus Epiphanes coming to power. Antiochus Epiphanes, he was the leader of the Seleucid Greeks in around 176 BC. And he came to power through deceit and flattery. And it was during his reign that he exacted a cruel rule over the people of Judah. Daniel 8 verse 23 says, And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. That is talking about this Antiochus type. Regarding that phrase, dark sentences, the theological word book of the Old Testament, it says that that phrase actually means riddle, difficult question, or parable. So what this is talking about is this leader would come to power and he would be able to understand difficult questions or complex technology. In America Under Attack, Trumpet Editor-in-Chief Gerald Flurry wrote, quote, What I will show you in this book, however, is the evidence that America has been ruled from within by another type of Antiochus. For eight years, this man used deceit and flattery as he sabotaged the nation from the top of our own government. Barack Obama came as an angel of light, and millions of Americans believed and still believe him. But as president, was he the guardian of America's democratic institutions and traditions, like rule of law? Did he leave the instruments of our democracy at least as strong as he found them? He did precisely the opposite. Focus on his actions. Look at his fruits. Anybody should be able to see past the angelic artifice and recognize the real power at work. His fruits define what he meant by fundamentally transforming America. End quote. 
AI is the next frontier of fundamental transformation. It's the next tool that this Antiochus type can use to keep destroying the Constitutional Republic of the United States. The most vital part about understanding artificial intelligence and the movement to use it is the spiritual force behind it. Only God's word can define what is truth and what is error. Only God's truth can set us free. If any individual is trying to define what is fact and what is fiction, there is a diabolical spirit behind their actions. We need to recognize the evil spirit behind the thinking of any Antiochus. Understanding this spiritual reality will give us clarity in the post-truth world. Understanding God's truth is what will keep us grounded in reality, even when men will use AI to create their own reality. This is the next frontier of America's fundamental transformation, the next frontier in the war over the truth, and the next frontier in the war for your mind. You need to connect God's truth and the spiritual intent to the events going on around you. Only one book can do that, and that book is entitled America Under Attack. This is Trumpet Hour. This is Trumpet Hour. Thank you for sticking with us on the show today. For the next segment here, we'll take a look at Germany, where war was viewed as basically a dirty word for several decades, and the people demanded pacifism of their nation. But now that is quickly changing, as we'll hear about now in this report from trumpet writer Josue Michels. 2023 may be the year engraved on the gravestone of German pacifism. What we are seeing today is a coordinated strategy to change the mindset of the German people toward the military. Wars and rumors of wars are increasing and that's about all you read these days in the news. Germans are being conditioned to think that they need a stronger military to defend themselves. German Defense Minister Boris Pistorius said in an interview on October 29th, quote, We have to get used to the idea that there could be a threat of war in Europe, and that means we have to become fit for war. We have to be defensive and prepare the Bundeswehr and society for this. End of quote. This seems self-evident, given the current wars in Europe, and the Middle East. But a few decades ago, virtually the whole world agreed that Germany should never be able to wage war again. German militarism was once said to be the greatest threat to world peace. Today, it is put forward as the solution to the same. Many Germans, however, still hold a strict pacifist mindset. For decades after World War II, many Germans demand extreme pacifism from their country, believing that a nation that started the greatest war in history should take extreme measures to avoid being involved in another. In recent years, many politicians have called on Germany to become a leading military power. In a world of rising hostilities and fragmented alliances, 
it appears logical for Germany to take matters into its own hands. But getting the military ready for war is one thing. Preparing society for it is another. A 2022 Kerber poll found that a sizable percentage of the public remained reluctant. 68% of Germans said they didn't want their country to play a leading military role in Europe. After receiving criticism for his statement, Pistorius added in an interview with Deutschlandfunk on October 31st, quote, We must be able to wage war, a self-defensive war, so that in the end we don't have to, end of quote. But the idea that Germany should prepare for war to prevent war is disputed. Pistorius' statement implies that the likelihood of the nation being attacked is higher than the likelihood of it starting another war. But a look at history shows Germany started both world wars in the 20th century and the wars of unification in the 19th century. In 89, Germanic tribes united to fight the most dominant military power in the world, the Roman Empire. The Romans called them Germans, meaning war men. The history of World War II caused the Allies, after the war, to pledge that Germany should never be able to start another war again. The 1945 Potsdam Agreement demanded the complete disarmament and demilitarization of Germany and the elimination or control of all German industry that could be used for military production. Germany's military was strictly bound to the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which was meant to ensure Germany would never need to defend itself and build up its own military. Now the international community is happy for the nation to build a strong military. German pacifism seems out of place. German news channel ZDF wrote on October 31st, quote, Boris Pistorius has dared to do what many have previously shied away from. More and more conflicts are being fought militarily. Ukraine, the Middle East, Kosovo, Nagorno-Karabakh and the conflicts and the wars are getting closer. It's all about national and alliance defense again. We're not directly involved yet. But this case could become a reality in the next few years. Germany is expected to take on more responsibility in Europe and the world. End of quote. Former German defense minister Karl Theodor zu Gutenberg also had high praise for Pistorius saying, quote, We always have a tendency to use terms that are as warming as possible and not too frightening, but in view of the wars in and around Europe, you can use this term. Incidentally, I consider this defense minister to be a real ray of hope in the very strange political landscape we have. End of quote. Pistorius' predecessor, Christine Lamprecht, was forced out of office on January 16 this year for allegedly failing to support Ukraine militarily and for failing to accelerate Germany's own 
military build-up. Germans demanded a stronger military leader, and they got Pistorius. Ever since taking office, Pistorius has been Germany's most popular politician. This shows that Germany's negative attitude towards its military is changing. Bit by bit, the military's regaining readiness as the military mindset is reawakening. 2023, thus maybe the year engraved on the gravestone of German pacifism. In the 20th century, as Germany lay defeated and divided, Herbert W. Armstrong warned that a remilitarized Germany would rise again. He died on January 16, 1986, and Germany was still divided. But as our booklet, he was right showers. The prophecies he uttered are coming to pass today. You can order your own copy of He Was Right on our website, thetrumpet.com. It is significant that Germany's increased military focus started with Lamprecht, the former defense minister's resignation on January 16. As Trumpet editor-in-chief Jeff Louis points out in his booklet, January 16th, God's Miracle Day, God causes major events to happen on that day to remind the world of Mr. Armstrong's work and forecast. In 1945, Mr. Armstrong told radio listeners, quote, From the very start of World War II, the Germans have considered the possibility of losing this second round, as they did the first, and they have carefully, methodically planned in such eventuality the third round, World War III. The nation that started the greatest war in history is again building its own military. It promises peace. It promises that it will only defend itself with this military. But the Bible sounds the alarm. God says he will use the Syrians, modern and Germany, as a corrective rod to punish America and Britain. In Isaiah 10, verse 5, we read, O Assyria, the rod of mine anger and the staff in their hand is mine indignation. Verse 6, I will send him against an hypocritical nation and against the people of my wrath. Will I give him a charge to take the spoil, to take the prey and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Germany, leading a European military power, will have the strength to punish the United States, Britain and the Middle Eastern nation called Israel today. This prophecy is explained in detail in our booklet Germany and the Holy Roman Empire. Germany as part of a larger European military is preparing today to fulfill these prophecies. But as we read in verse 7 in Isaiah 10, howbeit he means not so, neither does his heart think so, but it is in his heart to destroy and cut off nations not a few. Few today could even possibly imagine the cruelty 
is about to beset our world. But the Bible sounds the alarm. The military preparations of Germany, of Europe, are going to lead to the largest war ever in history. This war can only be stopped by the return of Jesus Christ to this earth, as prophesied in Matthew 24. Jesus Christ himself said, without this divine intervention, there would be no flesh save the life. But it will be at that point that mankind will start to realize that they cannot govern themselves, that they cannot make their own rules and laws and live peaceably with one another. At that point, they will learn to accept God's rule over them. And the wonderful fruits of that is recorded in Micah 4, verses 2 and 3. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his path. For the Lord shall go forth out of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among many people, and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their sword into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. While it is the goal today of many people to bring about peace, mankind does not know the way of peace. But the Bible forecasts a time when mankind will be taught how to live peaceably with one another. It's time for today's Last Word. Well, today is December 20th of 2023, and it was 220 years ago today, back in 1803, that a new flag was raised over the city of New Orleans. So in the decades before this, Spain had controlled the city of New Orleans and Louisiana and the thousands of square miles of territory stretching out to the north of it. And then in the early 1800s, the French commander Napoleon Bonaparte was beginning to march over Europe like a colossus. And as part of his campaigns, Napoleon coerced the king of Spain to cede the Louisiana territory back to France. Napoleon had schemes of building an empire in America and New Orleans and the rest of this territory was vital to that goal. And the Americans were deeply disturbed by this. They worried that their access to the Mississippi River might be blocked and that the whole American economy could be choked, severely disrupted by Napoleon's empire. In 1802, President Thomas Jefferson noted, There is on the globe one single spot, the possessor of which is America's natural and habitual enemy. It is... New Orleans. So the Americans desperately wanted to put an end to Napoleon's plans for an empire in the New World and his military designs for the Louisiana Territory. But it was out of their control until developments beyond human control began to 
take place. First, yellow fever decimated Napoleon's garrison down on the island of Haiti, which at that time was called St. Doming. And soon a revolt compromised French control of that island. This island was supposed to be the main headquarters for Napoleon's new world empire. So that was a major blow against him. And then Napoleon thought that he would instead station a large number of soldiers in New Orleans itself. But the port was suddenly blocked with ice. This was in January of 1803. And that was also a major blow to Napoleon's plans. And the combination of the yellow fever and the revolt in Haiti and the obstinate weather in New Orleans, it was enough to change his mind. So he decided to reconsider his plans about building an empire in the new world. And he decided to instead prioritize raising money to finance his wars in Europe. So he decided to write the whole new world off as basically a sunk cost. So he sold the entire massive territory, 828,000 square miles of land to the Americans for $15 million. The treaty was first signed on May 2nd of 1803, but it wasn't until December 20th, this day, 220 years ago, that the deal was made complete and made official. And at that time, the American flag was raised over New Orleans, signifying the completion of the Louisiana Purchase. That American flag back in 1803 only had 13 stars on it, but with the Louisiana Purchase... Those stars, symbolizing the number of states, were suddenly set to multiply. We heard from Mr. Abraham Blondeau in a report earlier in this episode, and he wrote an article about this stunning land sale for thetrumpet.com. He calls it the world's greatest real estate deal. And in one section of that article, Mr. Blondeau writes, The $15 million of 1803 is comparable to $729 million today. And the region of the Louisiana Purchase contributes around $1.7 trillion to America's gross domestic product each year. However, much of the value cannot be quantified with numbers. The strategic value of the Mississippi River makes it priceless to the United States. And the timing of the purchase was perfect to spur the westward expansion of the young republic, end quote. So it would be hard to overstate just how momentous this event was. It really placed the U.S. on the short list of first-rank global powers and set it on the path to becoming a superpower. But even more remarkable than any of that is that the Louisiana Purchase was fulfilling a landmark Bible prophecy. The late educator Herbert Armstrong wrote all about this in his book, The United States and Britain and Prophecy. And he goes through specific promises that God made to the patriarch Abraham and his descendants that they would be prosperous and powerful. And Mr. Armstrong shows in that book that the main descendants of Abraham who received those blessings ended up becoming the United States and Great Britain. And for America, Acquiring this massive tract of land from France for pennies on the dollar was a momentous part of receiving those blessings of prosperity and power. Mr. Armstrong writes, 
The United States had exploded out of its swaddling clothes of the 13 original states and had acquired the expanse of Louisiana Purchase. It was fast sprouting up to become the mightiest nation of all time. End quote. So on this anniversary of the completion of that greatest real estate deal in history, it's a great time to reflect back on this history-altering event and the circumstances out of human control that led up to it and the stunning results of it. And Mr. Blondo's article on this topic is a, is a great way to start that, so we'll leave a link to that article in the show notes for today's episode. You can see those notes on SoundCloud or on thetrumpet.com. And we'll also leave a link there to The United States and Britain in Prophecy by Mr. Herbert Armstrong. And if you click the link there, you can order a free hard copy of that book and go through that for a thorough examination of the Louisiana Purchase and much more. And you'll also find links in our show notes to the three articles that today's other segments were based on and to the materials mentioned in those reports as well. So please check out our show notes either on SoundCloud or on our website, thetrumpet.com. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Trumpet Hour. Please remember to send any comments or questions you may have about today's episode to letters at thetrumpet.com. Thanks very much to my guests today, Andrew Miller, Mr. Abraham Blondeau, and Josue Michels. Many thanks also to Nicholas Irwin and Isaac Lorenz for helping with the audio work for this episode. And I'll leave you today with this quote from Robert Livingston, who was America's ambassador to France at the time of the Louisiana Purchase. Just after the deal was finalized, he said, We have lived long, but this is the noblest work of our whole lives. From this day, the United States take their place among the powers of the first rank. Thank you for joining us on Trumpet Hour. Until next time, keep watching your world.